Welcome to the JMD podcast with me, your host, James Nurse, the social media editor at the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease. In fortnightly episodes, I invite one or more of our wonderful authors to join me and explain their recent research, what it showed and what it might mean for those caring for these conditions. In the last two years, we've compiled over 60 episodes, so be sure to trawl through our back catalogue to find something that might interest you, but not before listening to this latest episode on eye movement disorders in IMD. Well, hello there. It's pleasing to come back after a long, hot summer with something a little different. And while sometimes our podcasts focus on a single disorder, today's episode carries a much broader remit. I'm delighted to be joined by Lizetta Kuhns of the Department of Neurology and Clinical Neurophysiology at the University of Groningen to talk about her recent paper, Eye Movement Disorders in Inborn Areas of Metabolism, a Quantitative Analysis of 37 Patients. Lizetta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. Now, it's often said that the eyes are the window to the soul, and certainly there are eye signs that give clues regarding inherited metabolic disease. I think that all doctors learn about cataracts and Kaiser Flasher rings and cherry red spots, at least for their, their exams. But we're talking today about eye movement disorders. Why are these important? Well, we think that eye movement disorders are also frequent in inborn errors of metabolism, but they gain little attention in daily practice. Patients themselves do not always complain about visual disturbances and physicians do not always check for them. And so in this study, we wanted to include patients with a confirmed inborn error of metabolism in which we checked for eye movement abnormalities during neurological examination. And then we wanted to quantify these eye movements with video oculography just to create more awareness of eye movement disorders in these patients, because we don't know exactly how often it presents and how soon in the disease I mean, I've spoken before on the podcast about the fact that we tend to think of IMD as children's or paediatric disorders, but the reality is they're not. You're thinking about this here much more in terms of adult patients, aren't you? Yeah, I think it's important to mention that this paper mainly focuses on late onset or adults with inborn errors of metabolism, so not very young children. And that's because we think that in adults, inborn errors of metabolism are often not part of the differential diagnosis. So these patients experience a lot of diagnostic delay and so treatment delay. So we think it's very important to create more awareness. So neurologists and also internal medicine specialists recognize these patients more early. And I guess that we can use this information kind of forwards or backwards, i.e. it might lead you to suspect a diagnosis or you might monitor for it in known disease. How did you go about collecting your data? Well, in our cohort, we included patients in which eye movement disorders are known and very characteristic, such as patients with Niemann Peak type C. But we checked, in fact, all the patients with an inborn error of metabolism. So we found also eye movement disorders in patients in which this is not clearly described in the literature, such as, for example, Krabby disease. And I, and I think within your work, I always find myself apologizing for being a generalist. I'm, I'm, I know something about IMD. I don't know a lot about ophthalmology, but you discuss seven different aspects of eye movement. I wonder if you could briefly take me through these. Yeah, uh, you're correct. There are seven different aspects of eye movement that can be examined. First, everything starts with examination of the patient, inspection of the patient. Is there a normal posture of the head and the neck? And is there, for example, a ptosis? 
And then second, you need to know if the vision is normal because abnormal vision can lead to eye movement abnormalities as well. And after that, you can look at the gaze in the center and in eccentric positions to see if there are any abnormalities in range of motility or alignment and to see if there are any additional eye movements such as an nystagmus. And for the latter, it may be also useful to use a frenzel spectacles to eliminate fixation and to look for a spontaneous nystagmus. And after that, you need to examine the saccades that is rapidly changing gauge from one fixation point to another and also smooth pursuit. And then you can end with testing the optokinetic nystagmus, tracking a small, smoothly moving target in a horizontal direction and the vestibulo-ocular reflex in which you passively turn the head with fixation of the eyes of the patient on a stationary target. And in our study, we also examined an additional part. We examined eye movements during and after hyperventilation. And is that a normal part of eye examination or is that highly specific? No, that's very specific. And we added to our protocol because we know from the literature that it can provoke abnormal eye movements in patients with, for example, vestibular disease or cerebellar disorders. And many patients with inborn errors of metabolism do have some cerebellar involvement. So we thought this may be interesting. And the effect may be mediated through the effect on the voltage-gated calcium channels in the cerebellum, which are very sensitive to pH changes. So you get hyperventilation-induced alkalosis, and that can cause abnormal activities of these channels, and that may lead to nystagmus. And that's something we found indeed in eight of the 34 tested patients. That's one, one to add to the arsenal, I suppose. Um, and with the, the patients you were looking at, did you find any specific associations between certain conditions and certain eye movement disorders or patterns of eye movement disorder? Well, most of the observed eye movement disorders in our cohort were not associated with the type or group of inborn errors of metabolism, but there were two exceptions to this. First, the vertical supranuclear gaze palsy was strongly related to Niemann peak type C. And all 10 included patients with Niemann peak type C showed a vertical supranuclear gaze palsy during testing saccades. And in some of these patients, there were also abnormal horizontal saccades. And then we found the so-called round the houses phenomenon in which the eyes move in a lateral arc when attempting to look up and down in four of the patients. And in the other patients, the vertical saccades were too severely affected for assessment of these. These patients were not able to look up and down at all. And then second, we found a progressive external ophthalmoplegia only in the patients with the mitochondrial disease current Sayer syndrome. And these patients showed a progressive external ophthalmoplegia consisting of ptosis, impaired abduction and adduction of the eyes, and also abnormal vertical eye movements. And from the literature, we know that this progressive external ophthalmoplegia is an important part of the current Sayer phenotype. I mean, you, you mentioned you begin your assessment by looking at, at the patient themselves. And within the paper, you talk about associations between eye movement disorder and more widespread motor disorders, but you also mentioned psychiatric symptoms. What kind of features are you referring to there? Yeah, well, this uh, concerns in particular late onset inborn errors of metabolism, as we are looking for clues that may help to recognize these patients more early. 
And when it comes to movement disorders, we know these are frequent in patients with a late onset inborn error of metabolism, and they may be present early in the course of the disease. And then when disease progresses, more movement disorders may develop, and this may lead to complex and mixed phenotypes. But overall, the type of movement disorder is not very specific for a specific disorder or group of inborn errors of metabolism as well, as it is the same for eye movement disorders, which are also very heterogeneous. And uh, also for movement disorders, there are some exceptions to this. For example, dystonia in patients with doper-responsive dystonia, that's highly characteristic for that disorder. And then psychiatric symptoms, they are also frequent in late onset inborn errors of metabolism. They may be present for years before other symptoms start and symptoms may be quite diverse. Uh, behavioral disturbances, catatonia, for example, in Niemann peak type C, psychosis, hallucinations, depression. And sometimes they can have an acute onset and they may then be combined with other symptoms such as the gastrointestinal complaints, coma, autonomic failure. And this can be, for example, caused by urea cycle disorder or the porphyrias. And in other disorders, there are more chronic symptoms, such as the lysosomal storage disorders and the metal storage disorders. And these patients, the latter, they often present with a combination of the psychiatric symptoms and movement disorders. I think you've probably answered this, but you've noted in the paper again that the late presentations rarely present solely with eye signs. Obviously, you've mentioned some other clinical features there. Are there any surprising clinical features that might uh, raise one's index of suspicion for an IMD for a patient presenting with any of these eye movement disorders? Yeah, that's correct. Um, We looked for eye movement disorders, but none of the patients in our cohort presented with an isolated eye movement disorder. So there were always different symptoms. And when we looked to the late onset inborn errors of metabolism, 17% had eye movement abnormalities in combination with movement disorders, psychiatric symptoms, or cognitive impairments. One third had two of these symptoms and another one third had all three symptoms. So then only 17% presented without one of these features. So without the movement disorders, the psychiatric symptoms and the cognitive impairments, but all these patients had other neurological symptoms instead. For example, one of these was a patient with Wilson's disease who had also liver abnormalities. So we show that it's often a combination of symptoms, but that eye movement disorders may take a prominent place in this. And do we understand why inherited metabolic disease leads to eye movement disorders? Or is that just too broad a question, given the huge variety of conditions that we know make up this group? Well, it differs. First, important to know that eye movement disorders can be divided into groups. You can have peripheral eye movement disorders and central forms, and the peripheral eye movement disorders are particularly frequent in mitochondrial disorders as these affect tissues with high energy needs, including the brain and the heart and the skeletal muscles, but also the eye muscles. And that's the reason we think that the eye muscles are affected in mitochondrial disorders and you can get a progressive external ophthalmoplegia. And then you have the central eye movement disorders, which have their origin in the brain. And in some of these disorders, the anatomical localization is very clear. And then I come back to the patients with Niemann peak type C. In this disorder, histopathological examination showed damage of a very specific part of the midbrain. 
However, the exact underlying pathophysiological substrate of the eye movement disorders in many other inborn errors of metabolism is unknown. And you can postulate that parts of the brain that are also involved with movement, because as I mentioned before, many patients have movement disorders, are also involved, such as the basal ganglia, the cerebellum, but also, for example, the vestibulum. And then there is also an association with cognitive impairment and psychiatric symptoms that can cause abnormal eye movement disorders as well. Although in our study, we didn't find any significant relation between these symptoms and the eye movement disorders. And to end, um, I mentioned before, the visual disturbances may cause eye movement disorders. For example, nystagmus which is particularly frequent in patients with a Zellweger spectrum disorder. Perfect. I love papers like this. I, I think it's so important that we ensure that people across the medical specialties are considering the possibility of inherited metabolic disease because we just don't make these diagnoses if we don't go looking for them and we won't look for them if we don't think about them. So this is fantastic to hear about. I'd certainly encourage anyone who wants to know more to go and read your paper by clicking the link in the podcast description or going to the Wiley Online Library app and finding the paper there. Lizetta, thank you again for your time today. Thank you very much for this invitation. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.